Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Bernita Howard, the founder of Breaking the Silence on Domestic Violence. We come to you tonight to bring you our life stories, bringing awareness on domestic violence. As we always say, um, right now we're in a, the middle of a pandemic with COVID-19, but domestic violence has always been a pandemic that nobody want to talk about. We are all blessed that we are here. We have triumphed through our troubles and our tribulations, but nevertheless, we are here. Just a little bit about who I am. I am the founder of Breaking the Silence. I am an author. I'm a motivational speaker. I am a minister. I am a mother, a wife, and a grandmother. All I enjoy, but what I enjoy the most is being an advocate to help those who are in need to understand you don't have to stay there. I was blessed that I'm able to tell my story and um, instead of my family on life or ID telling my story for me. So I'm going to let these beautiful ladies introduce who they are, just a little bit about who they are and why they're here tonight. We're going to start with you, Miss Renee. Thank you, Verdita, for the platform and lovely to meet all of you ladies. And uh, my name is Renee Brathwaite. Um, I live in Southern California. I'm a mom of two. Um, I'm a small business owner. I was teaching for the past 15 years. 10 of those years were in United Arab Emirates and Abu Dhabi. Um, I love the teaching profession. Um, I never thought I would be sharing my story, but, um, you know, that's life sometimes, you know. So uh, I'm excited to share and help anyone that's out there um, who is currently in that position or knows someone that in the position. Um, so thank you so much for the platform, Vernita. Awesome. Miss Rhonda. Hi. Um, my name is Rhonda. I am operating of reawakening. Um, in addition to that, I am an domestic violence. So, um, I feel like I'm echoing. You are. Okay. So let me leave out and come back. Okay, mm -hmm. while we're waiting on her to come back in, Shayna, is that how I say your name? Shayna. Shayna. And Shayna, can yes. you introduce yourself to the um, audience for us? Yes, absolutely. Hi, everybody. My name is Shayna Street. I am uh, 27 years old. I'm a survivor of domestic violence um, myself. I am a mother of a superhero. He's my, um, he's autistic. He's the love of my life. He's bring so much joy uh, to me. Um, I am the director of victim services for North Community Street Team. Um, as a victim advocate, we work around victim of crime compensation um, and uh, trauma-informed care. 
I am also an author of Hey God, Did You Get My Message, which is um, a book about my life story of just surviving some of these triumphs that we're going to dig deep into today. And um, I'm also the playwright and director of Hey God, Did You Get My Message stage play, which is a gospel stage play that I uh, transitioned from my book into a stage play to be able to uh, use different avenues to reach uh, survivors and victims of crime. So um, thank you so much for having me and inviting me to this space. And I look forward to uh, digging deep into this work. Awesome. So um, we're going to dig, um, dig straight in. So domestic violence is intimate partner abuse, where um, a lot of people just look at the physical part of it. But there are so many different forms of abuse that you can go through when you are um, dealing with domestic violence. Um, okay, so we got Ms. Rhonda before we dig into it. Okay, Ms. Rhonda, introduce yourself. Okay, um, I do apologize about that. My name That's is Rhonda Nixon. I'm from um, Wilson, North Carolina. I um, am the owner and operator of Reawakening Life Coaching, LLC. Um, uh, what I do is help people get unstuck. And so one of the ways that I do that is through um, helping them go through the phase of domestic violence. Um, as an uh, advocate for domestic violence, um, my center focus is youth, but I do do um, adults as well. So that's one of my passions. And so thank you, Ms. Benita, for this um, opportunity to be able to present with these young ladies. Awesome. Thank you, ladies, so much. So we're going to dig right into it. I'm going to give just a brief of domestic violence, but um, if you ladies would join in and tell the people what domestic violence is to you. Um, but the, how can I say, the Webster Dictionary says <laughs> um, domestic violence is intimate partner abuse where um, it, it includes um, any physical. And, and when I say intimate partner, that is somebody that you have been involved with. So I want to make it clear um, but domestic violence has many forms. You have the physical, you have the financial, you have the emotional, you have the psychological, you have the mental, you have the spiritual. And a lot of people don't want to talk about it. Um, I was introduced to it <laughs> from my first husband, but um, I never seen it in my home. Statistics say that it takes... Um, no, statistics say that most people who develop um, go through domestic violence has seen it in their homes. For me, I never seen it. Um, it also say that it's from a single parent home. I don't think they dug deep when they done statistics because um, I'm from a two parent home. You know, um, how about you, ladies? Also. Um was both my parents and then my mother became a single parent when I was um, going into high school. Miss Rhonda? So I was um, two-parent home, but then as she stated, Renee stated, my parents separated. Never divorced, but separated. Miss Street? Yes, I was actually um, raised by my grandparents at first, where it wasn't prevalent in the home, and then, um, then um, by my mom, and she was a single parent at the time. Okay. So as we can see, um, it, it 
it can happen. You know, those that go through, um, there are diff different levels to it. And um, for me, as I stated, my parents was together until God called my mom home. Um, so um, let's, let's dig deep into our situations. Um, do any of you remember, like, because we're going to relive some things, but that's the only way to truly bring awareness to anything. Um, for me, I didn't see any warning signs. Did you guys see the warning signs and overlook them? Or and let me say it this way. In the beginning, I didn't know what the warning signs were. So to me, it, it seemed like I didn't see it because I, I want to rephrase this because when I think back, I actually seen them. I just didn't accept it, you know, because I was so busy. Um, I was so busy trying to mimic what my parents had and my older sister had, you know, with stability in the home, making sure my children had um, two parents in the home. You know, I was busy trying to mimic that. But there were, you know, times that he would, um, you know, get angry. Um, there was times that, um, you know, I thought that it was love. Oh, <laughs> I only have to sit home, you know, um, but I had to have dinner done by the time he get home. If he called and requested something else, I had to have that done. Um, the thing for me, I wasn't, um, and you know, a lot of girls would be like, Oh, that's so good. Your husband pays up bills, baby. I worked. I didn't even have um, control of my own. And, and guys, I'm going to keep it real with you. I didn't have control of my money. Um, but I felt like the bills were paid. And I didn't realize that when he allowanced me $250, when he allowanced me, that was abuse. But we're going to dig deep into it because, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about the financial abuse. But I will say to anybody watching, baby, know how to manage your funds. Don't allow anybody to control you that way. Because you go out and work. I was working 40 hours. Good job. But didn't have any control of the funds. So you ladies want to, whoever want to start first. What signs did you see, but you overlooked them? Um, I can. I think for me, when it first happened, um, I think I Mr. think my daughter. You're on a mute. I think. Um, can you hear me, Vernita? I was just saying that um, for me, it happened. I think my daughter was maybe uh, she was newborn, so when it first happened, I just thought like. I, I'd never seen anything like it. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> it just shocked me. And I was like, I thought, okay, this was probably was likely my fault or, you know, something, you know, I just thought I took the ownership of it being my fault. And I just was like, okay, that's, that's, I'm sure it won't happen again. And that's where I was. I was owning, owning that it was my fault and that I was the cause of it. And I just like, let it go that was my story, you know, and, and little did I know there was more to follow after that. Right. For me, Nixon, oh. on the street, whichever. Yeah. Um, for me, I overlooked the, the drinking. Um, 
the drinking was definitely a sign, him not being able to remember certain things that happened a day before, like often. And what got me was that he didn't like really drink often, but um, he wasn't able to hold his liquor. So it was things, you know, he can drink a cup, a little bit of wine and it was easy for him to forget. Um, and he didn't understand his temper and things like that. And I used to overlook that, like, oh, it's just the drinking, you know, things like that and making excuses for him. And being young didn't help it either because I got married when I was 20 years old. Um, so yeah, me being young and also having other previous experience of um, forms of abuse or violence, I was already vulnerable going into the situation, not yet healed. So there was a lot mm -hmm. of that I was still looking for at such that young age that I didn't identify with until I until I was older that um you know stuck out for me. So then in the moment, no, I didn't see some of the warning signs, but I do know some of the excuses that I made. And I would say for me, yeah, there were warning signs. I you know I was blind as my other sisters just spoke about um uh you know for me, it was more of a, like a church relationship. And so um, he's like, girl, that's a good man. You better not let him get by. And I'm like, okay. Didn't know. <laughs> he go crazy. He crazy. <laughs> but uh, um, so just having that, you know, just trying to, um, you know, feeling that. And then just to be honest, because you said we're being transparent here. When you get a certain age, you know, you think about the white horse and mm -hmm. uh, like a Cinderella. You think at a certain age, you should be married, you should be having kids. And, and you know, so you seem to, you tend to settle for that attention or just having a man or a companion. So, that yeah, so red flags were there. I just ignored Because I thought he was a project. He's more so of a project to fix. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you said that because as women, a lot of times we see the signs or, you know, when you first get that little food, <laughs> somebody always come to you and be like, girl, he done this to such as, oh, that's her. You know, um, oh, he ain't going to do me that way. You know, she must want taking care of her business or whatever, you know, and we think that we can, so the first flare, it's like, oh, okay, well, what did I do wrong? You know, um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to help him out. You know, we, we're going to work on this. We're going to go to counseling. Why do I got to go to counseling if he's the one with the issue? Or why do he got to go, go to counseling if you're the one with the issue? But, you know, we, we don't want to talk about it. So as women, why do we think that we can fix someone who's already has issues? Because that's just how we are. I, that's we are fixers all the time trying to fix everybody's problem but our own. And you think that you can help somebody. You really yeah. think that, you know, you're in this and you're just like, I'm going to make it work. And that's another thing. You push through trying to make it work when the other person's going to kill you. You know, so it's like when you have that wake up moment, it's like, I got to get out of this situation. And it's only until then, because I, like I said on my live on my page, no one would have told me to leave. No one could not have told me to leave. I would have had to, I had to make the decision. And even at that decision, it was hard for me 
But I remember the first time I was like, yeah, I can fix this. Oh, you think we, we think we're the greatest counselors. And we think that even going to even counseling, we didn't we didn't even get to the counseling part. I just thought over time this would pass. You know, that's where that's where I was. And then it just looked at me. Can I live through this? Another my daughter might have been like five at a time. I can't remember her age, but I can I do this for so many more years. And the answer kept going, coming back to me. No, you really can't. But I pushed through. So we have this problem <laughs> of thinking that we can fix something when we tell we cannot fix another person. It's impossible. So I, I definitely I say that to say, like, you have to, it's a personal decision for every woman yeah. out there. You know, a friend of mine years ago asked me what his mother stayed in a relationship that was broken and everything. He's like, what made you? I, I said it was a personal decision. That was it. I didn't want my daughter seeing any more of anything, any more of it. And I didn't want to feel any more of it. So at the, and, and it was a conversation he said to me, he's like, you're smarter. She, he was saying something about how smart I am. And it was like the light bulb moment to get the hell out of here. And we had a new home, just built three bedrooms, two baths. I mean, it was an amazing house. And I was like, I'm leaving all this shit. <laughs> I will get another one. I will get another one. I left everything he gave me, everything. And I walked away and I told him, I cannot live with you any longer. And, and I would not do it. It, it took everything in me. I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I mean, this is not a healthy relationship for my daughter to be in. And, and not even my daughter, for myself. I can't do this to myself. So mm -hmm. that's when I was like, I left that home. I rented a one bedroom. I rented a room, not even a one bedroom. I rented a room. And I stayed in that room until I finished my teaching license got that teaching license test done and I moved on and I was able to um, have her go to his house and things like that. And we did have a conversation. I was like, you know what? I forgive you. I just can never live with you again. I can never be with you again. So that was, that was my story. I, I'm not a fixer. Either you got it together or you don't. <laughs> Why? So sorry. Well, so I don't know, Ms. Street, you was about to say something, but one of the things I want to chime in and say is the reason why we do feel, um, feel as though they are projects is because our natural ge our genetics as a woman is to nurture. Right. And so we feel as though we can make everything right. I mean, just add a little love to it, baby. You know, when mama cooking in the kitchen, it's a lot of love. And so we think love, and the Bible says a love has a multitude of sin. But I think sometimes we take that out of context because of the fact that you can't fix anyone that's already mm -hmm. broken. Right. And nobody, and so, can, um, nobody can fix you either. Mm -hmm. And right. Right. A, a lot of times in Miss Street, you can, as I say this, you can go head on. But a lot of times we're going into relationships already broken. Mm. Um, you know, we'll leave one relationship. And for me, you know, I can speak on that. Um, 
even after um, this ordeal, I went to another one, to another one, to another one. And I wasn't healed. I was broken. So I was taking this baggage from here to there to here to there. And I was being a, I always say it was like I was a magnet to abusers. Mm. You know, so it wasn't just one with me. It was a lot of them until one day I was like, I just can't do this anymore. This is too much. And so I stayed to myself um, for a while. I, I just, I, I needed that for me, you know, but I had to, I had to work on Vernita. I had to find Vernita. Yeah. I was the type, I didn't want to be alone. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just didn't. I'm like, look, guys, you ain't put me here to be by myself. You said you made Adam and Eve. I want my Adam. I want my Boaz, okay? You know, and, and I was rushing. I was rushing the process for God. You know, I was like, okay, it's taking you a little bit too long. Let me go ahead and find. And I was getting all Boaz cousins. <laughs> go ahead, Miss Street. Um. I mean, Renee actually started off with what I was going to say. We are, you know, nurturing beings. It's within our nature. And not only that, it's from what we see, our mothers and our grandmothers and our great grandmothers. That's something we see, you know, them do as well. You know, they, you know, they, they work for their relationships. They say everything don't come easy, you know, you know, mm -hmm. something takes some work, you know, and especially growing up in a Christian home, um, you grow up knowing that, you know, in churches, you didn't want to get the divorce. You know, you wanted to do everything you could, you know, for your marriage. Unless, I mean, even going through the domestic violence, praying and hoping and fasting, you know, hoping that a change is going to take place somewhere mm -hmm. in the night hour. And, you know, you have that hope that it's going to happen. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't. But, you know, we want to fix other people because it's something in us that's wanting to be fixed as well. And sometimes mm -hmm. we use that instinct and play it outwards. Sometimes it's not even about the other person. Sometimes it's solely about you. And like you said, we go into these relationships broken, wanting, you know, needing someone to be there because we couldn't be alone. So it wasn't so much about fixing the other person, but doing so much that we could keep them around so they can be a part of what we need. And that was a lot of the things, um, too, is just wanting to keep somebody around. And, you know, a lot of a lot of women, you know, end up cutting off their friends or their family members so, so they get to a place where they don't even have anyone to call or not that they don't have anyone. They don't feel safe or they don't feel like they have that relationship anymore to give them a call. And that's part of abuse. too. I mean, that's one of the signs, too, of, you know, having to neglect your your friends and your family because, you know, he wants you to stay home or he don't think they good for you or things like that. So, you know, you got to keep that in mind as well. That isolation. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And um, a manipulator knows how to manipulate. They know how to isolate you to make you feel that they are the best person ever for you. Um, once they pull you away from everybody, um, they'll say, um, oh, I told you they didn't care. Or I told you... Um, I told you uh, I'm the only one that's going to be there for you. Yeah, you pull me away from everybody, you know, um, or if they if they call you and 
he answered a phone. Um, he, oh, she's busy right now. You know, um, it's, it's different tactics that, you know, people, manipulators use, but they know how. Can to, I jump in like this, Renita? Yeah. I'm going to cut you off. But those are some of the signs that, you know, especially when you're young or you're just getting into a relationship that you find cute. Like, oh, he want to, he just want to spend time with me or he taking charge, girl. Look at him. He taking charge. You know, we, we want. We look for, especially when you have gone through abuse, you you look for that in a man, that leadership and that. So when you when a man comes like that and they in, intentionally doing it, but you're so vulnerable and gullible and open that you don't mm -hmm. even miss the signs of what he's actually doing. Right. Um, Renee, uh, one of the viewers asked, how long was it before you left your abuser? Um, I look at it, my daughter's age. I I get kind of fuzzy with the 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 years and numbers and stuff. Uh, my daughter's about to be eighteen now, so I think she might have been. She just finished kindergarten, went to first grade, so maybe five, six, around six, seven. I was with seven years, but this is someone I've known for years. We went to college together, so it's not someone I just, you know, we've known each other for years. And um, I just shocked me. And even if I, when I'm sharing the story and I think back and I had a lot of love for him. And uh, you know what, even, um, even in the forgiving part, cause actually it took me two years ago to really forgive. I actually had to ask God, you're gonna have to intervene on this one because I really don't know how. I thought I could forgive, but I had a, some, I had some bumps along the way because I'm mm -hmm. so free and, and the resentment of being a single mom and this journey and, that was hard, you know, um, that I didn't think that I would be in that category, nor did I want to be in that category. Uh, so I just had to ask that. I said, I can't do this by myself. And then, so that was like two, three years ago. And um, I, and even, you know, there's some, there's a lot to the story, but I, but I, I think to the point where we came to the forgiveness was the most critical piece for me because I let go. Because before, when I was living in UAE, the memories kept coming back and they kept coming back strong. Like, it's like, and I always say, like, I was like, God left me in a, the desert to get to the point of forgiving. He wasn't going to let me go from UAE until I could actually forgive myself, the situation, the experience, because I was holding on to so much. And then I just, once I, I just felt better. It felt so much better. I was like, oh, dang, it was that. And it, you know, it's still a process. And I remember, I just remember, I just, I couldn't believe I was in that situation, <laughs> that that was my story. And, um, but I'm just glad I got out. You know, I ha have no regrets about leaving, you know, and I actually don't have regrets about anyone telling me to leave because I had to do it myself. I had to wake up to reality like this is not getting better. It's only going to lead to your death. And that is when I was like, enough is enough. You can have the keys. You can have the house. You can have it all. I do not care. I need to go ahead and take care of myself and I need to take care of this, this daughter we have. And, and that's it. And I told him, I'm, I'm going to take care of her with you or without you. And I meant that. 
and even financial times when it got hard in UAE with the tuition, $5,000 and had to figuring it out, you know, I just had to figure it out. You know, I mean, that's it. Um, but I did get to the point of forgiveness. And I think that was another journey by itself. So. Okay, so one of the viewers asked, what are the traumas that um, that you still suffer with today that affect you on a day-to-day -day basis? And I'm going to get each of the ladies to answer this. Um, for me, the hardest thing was this year, honestly, um, I have not been in the room with my the abuser that introduced me to domestic violence. Um, September the 6th was the first time I've ever been back in the room with them. Um, we have children and, um, I thought that I was good, mm. you know, um, I was able to speak, you know, the trauma and, and this time of the year is really hard for me because my son was beat out of me December the 23rd. So for 21 years, I shut down around December. December was just a month to shut down for me. Um, and when my son would have been 21 was the first time I ever allowed anyone around. So on a day-to-day -day basis, I often wonder, like, what would my son have been? Um... You know, um, where would he be? Um, what type of lifestyle would he have? You know, that to me, that would have been my protector. You know, even though God blessed me with grandsons, but the trauma that I have is I never, I never got a chance to hold him alive. So the meltdown each month, I mean, each year around December is hard. Um, another thing that I have to deal with is my grandsons, all of them look like him, all of them. And I remember when my oldest one was born, that is my heart. You know, I love all my grandchildren the same, but they say I make a difference because when he was born, I felt like God was giving me back what he took, you know what I mean? Um, and then a year, a year later, I have another one. So I'm like, okay, God, so now you done gave me three, three times what I lost. So he's given me triple of what I lost, but it still never will be the same, you know, because I can't say, you know, when I, I talk to the boys and talk to my granddaughters about their uncle, it's like, uh, you know, grandma, why do we have to go put this on a grave? So that's the hardest thing for me, explaining to them why we're going there, who that person is. Um, I also have a, um, my stomach, he kicked my stomach after having a baby. So my intestines was um, ripped. So I always have that. That's not something that will go away. No matter how big I get, no matter how small I get. 
those pains will always be there. But that's the trauma that I face on a day-to-day basis. And being an advocate, seeing other women go through it, sometimes it makes you relive the situation that you've been in. Somebody else can speak. So for me, I I, I guess I'll go next. Uh, One of the traumas that I face, and and like you, Miss Renita, you you said it. I mean, it's so many, Mm -hmm. right? But uh, for me, um, I was actually kidnapped, beaten, and raped by an ex. And so for me, having a 12-day shotgun to my head and say, if you holler, holler, I'll kill you. Um, and then to actually drag me on the ground and rape me, um, that w- that's trauma. And so for anybody to come behind me, like grab my eyes or anything like that, I'm like, what? what? I'm like, I'm ready to fight because I'm in defense mode. I also have scars all over my body where I was drugged on the highway um, like a dog. And so um, in some days, it depends on the weather. I may walk with a limp. That's because of I jumped out of the car trying to live because my son and my nephew was back in the car. Um, so day to day, I had those traumas, but I am determined not to live in fear. You know, um, I see some of his family members, you know, out and about. Um, don't know because he is serving time. Don't know if they will ever try to retaliate. Not sure. But I got to trust God every step of my life. You know, I can't walk around in fear. At one time I did, but I'm not doing that anymore. So I'll stop right there and I'll let somebody else say because I don't, I want to give them an opportunity to speak as well. I'll go ahead and jump um, right in. Um, One of um, the traumas that I have, um, I mean, like you, Renee, um, being, being drugged down the street. Um, like with a bathrobe on and no clothes, like that's trauma. Um, that's trauma. Um, not being able to drive, you know, in different areas because the the experience of the abuse is like prevalent. It's the first thing that popped in my mind. Like I remember when we shared this house. Like I remember we used to drive this way all the time when we lived over here, and things like that. And it brings up so many memories that become overwhelming. That you know you fade out and you and sometimes it's um your temperament you know having anger management like i'm very snappy um not, don't want to embrace too much like i have a friend that she just comes and gives me hugs all the time because she's like i don't care if you don't want me to touch you you need a hug and um that has been teaching me to grow to be able to embrace more because it's hard um when you're thinking especially when you know it's numerous occasions i mean yes you know this is a domestic um violence awareness event but not only the domestic violence but years of um sexual abuse as well at a young age um it makes it hard to be able to connect with people um and make it makes it hard socially to um maintain relationships because you become pessimistic of people's motives in your life you know and that's draining as well and that's trauma because you think everybody is out to get you and everybody don't want to see you do well and and it's overwhelming and it's emotionally draining and it's mentally draining and um 
you know, that's something that we have to deal with too as part of our trauma because we want to be able to have healthy relationships and be able to, you know, communicate and trust. But, you know, at the same time, you know, healing is found where the wound is. There's a gift in the wound. And sometimes it takes going deep in that wound and healing it to be able to, and healing others to be able to heal yourself. Um, my leader, Akilah Shirelles, um, the director of NCST, he says it all the time. There's healing. Healing lies where the wound is. And I, I live by that. I'm a witness of that, of just transforming from a victim to living victoriously. You know, and I, I speak that and I motivate other victims as well, you know, to, you know, try to make sure that, you know, they get, they seek the mental health is important. And going out to um, seek mental health doesn't make you um, any less of a person. It's still important and it's needed to be able to heal from those traumas. And I'm complete before we get too much further. Miss Renee, I think you're on mute. You're on mute. Miss Renee? Um, I think that for me, the trauma was um, when I saw him after, I would, it would, I would think about some of the worst events in the house where one, where I was, I, he just kept hitting my head and I thought I was gonna die. So, and then I had a conversation and he asked me, why did I leave? I said, for so many instances. And then that, that night when I explained to him what he did, he didn't even remember because he was so intoxicated. He didn't remember. And I was like, how could you not remember? Mm -hmm. I mean, that one, just the thought that he couldn't remember, I, it, it, stung, it stung me in a way that I could not express because I thought, I was like, Lord, if I can, I make it through this night. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this night, but please give me the strength to make it through this night. I remember it like mm -hmm. it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes when I would take um, my daughter to him after the, after after everything, when um, I saw him, that stood out to me the most. I knew he was a good father. I knew he wouldn't harm Camille. Honestly, that was that stood out the most. And and even after I would come back to Chicago from UAE just for, it wasn't often I was able to do that, uh, just because uh, it was just a long trip from another country back to the states. But I wanted to make sure that the two of them had a great relationship. You know, I didn't want to taint that relationship in any way. Um, for some, they were always they were always close. From day one, I told him about we were having a daughter. He was excited. But honestly, that one night I was I I, <laughs> I am surprised I was here to tell the story. And I am someone who's lived through 9-11, this and that and everything. But that particular experience, wow. For someone who says they love you, you have to be careful who you love. You have to be careful. For any woman out there that's feeling like, how can I leave? Find a way. You're going to have to wake up somehow because it doesn't end, it doesn't stop because they target you if they're angry, if they're upset, if they're frustrated. They take it out on one person and it's the person in front of them. 
and you can't change that. So that trauma lasted years for me. Um, I can't explain that night. It's unexplainable. Um, you would never think, so, you know this person who's doing this to you, like you're allowing this to happen. So, yeah. I could totally uh, relate to you um, with that when um, you said he used to drink and um, not remember he hit you, uh, you know, the next day. That was, you know, a lot of my experiences from, you know, him not remembering the next day. It was like, how don't you remember? And like literally wake up and be like, you know, what happened to your face? You know, and him not know that it was him that did it or, you know, being extremely in fear of how he's going to respond when we're out at, you know, gatherings while he's drinking and just like, OK, here's another night. I remember going down the uh, highway and he was um, drinking and he didn't like something I said and he grabbed the steering wheel. You know, while we were speeding down um, the parkway. And that was one of the scariest things of, you know, my life. You know, even to this day, I'm so jumpy in the passenger seat. It's ridiculous. I don't trust no one's driving but mine. Right. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. no one's, you know, I'm not the safest driver either. either <laughs> but, I, you know, if I'm going to go, it's going to be by my own hands. Okay. And, um, but, you know, that just, you know, not being able to trust anybody to take the will, whether, you know, fit literally or figuratively, you know, not being able to trust somebody to take the will. And um, it's hard. And um, we don't understand how our traumatic experiences actually come into play with a lot of our decision making. And it does. But I'm going to turn it right back over to you. Um, another, um, another question from one of the viewers says, um, did you carry baggage into your very first relationship after leaving your abuser? Or did your first relationship trigger anything of your past? For me, I had never, um, I dated, you know, I was 17 um, when I got married. Um, I got pregnant and I'm a mama and daddy's girl. So like, it was easy to convince my parents like, Hey, this is what the Bible said. Like I kind of use spiritual abuse on them. Cause I'm like, Hey, this is what the Bible said. You know, um, a man and a woman should be married, da da da, whatever. And he asked me. And so I was excited, you know? And, um, I remember my dad walking me down the aisle. He was like, well, you really don't have to go through with it. You know, um, not, you know, uh, I, I'm totally behind this, but if this is what you want to do, you know, he was like, because we got to walk past the door because the way we walked in. And so I was like, no, dad, let's go ahead. You know, because again, I wanted, um, you know, what my parents had. And, you know, I just felt like this, this was going to do, but I can say my next relationship from my first abuser I took baggage. I took the hurt. I was broken. And I took all that brokenness, you know, um, and, and it, it was like I was vulnerable, you know. So um, and this guy was a manipulator, too. So he like knew it. And um, at that time, being young, having my own house, da da da, or whatever, and I'm like, oh, you can come see me. You know, and they walking in a a new home, um, completely furnished, you know, 
dude had nothing to lose. You know, he had everything there to gain. Um, but again, he, you know, he drunk and um, he was drinking or whatever. And then later to find out that he was doing drugs. And because I was never introduced to any of that, I didn't know. So I took baggage from one relationship to the next. So I can't say that about my situation. I definitely took baggage as well. Um, you know, from a young age, my mother wasn't really around. I was raised by my grandparents. Um, a lot of the things were swept under the rug. What happens in a house stays in a house. A lot of things went unsaid. Um, I had a every other weekend uh, dad. So, you know, growing up, there wasn't too much in the streets that I seen outside of church. Um, you know, wanting, you know, to um, being so restricted, you know, in the same mm -hmm. sense with some of the abuses that I carry silently because what happens in the house stays in the house, especially when you have, yeah, you have leaders in ministry. And, um, you know, we're taught to, you know, carry these burdens and wait and leave it on the altar and pray about it and things to be healed. But it was a lot of things at a young age that I was still healing through that as I grew up into um, my adolescence and, you know, my young adulthood. And finally, you know, moving with my mom, you know, moving with my mom later in life, you know, in that in that in that time, and then being, you know, molested, you know, for uh, you know, for a year, at you know, at 11, 12 years old. So by the time I'm, you know, 16, 17, I'm getting raped at gunpoint at um, in a abandoned, you know, house in a room house that I was staying in, um, that by myself. 16 years old, going to high school and church, you know, that's all I knew. Church was like, so, you know, it was in, it was in me and, you know, it was instilled in me. So even when I lived on my own, you know, I was still going to church, but I didn't know it was because he still had a hold on me and I didn't understand why until later on, but he was still using me in that time. And I didn't know the things that he was taking me through was to build me for where I am now. And, um, he, he he carried me um, during that time. And there was a lot of things I took into my relationship when I got married at 20 years old because there was a lot of things for my youth that were, were never addressed, that were never healed, that, that family members ignored, that they forgotten about. So when it even came back up, it's like, what? What you talking about? Like they didn't remember, and you know, and because it's been swept so deep with everything else that's under there that, you know, it never gets addressed. And those things that we take with us unhealed, unaddressed, unresolved, just waiting. Now you just wanted to be loved. If, if anybody can hear me, if you can be able to just hear me, that's just what I need. And, you mm -hmm. know, you take that into relationships, just wanting somebody to understand you, uh, somebody wanting to understand your story. And that's baggage that, you know, that you that's opened up in those relationships that causes you to fix, be that fixer and that cleanup person. Because you got so much of your own that needs to be cleaned up. Oh, you said a mouthful there. Um, as women, you know, we are nurturers. Um, we're moms, so we nurture, you know, and, and we think when we get with him, you know, um, we can nurture him back um, to be 100% whole. But we also, um, so if anybody's viewing, 
if you got to nurture him, he's already had a mom. And if she couldn't do it, you can't do it. Um, and and with these um, roundtables, I believe in keeping it real. So now we're going to go a little bit deep into, um, you know, our stories. And um, I'm going to let Miss um, Street start. And so there's so many different forms of abuse that you can go through. And as you um, give us like a snippet of your story um, and what you learned from it and have you healed from it? And if so, what steps did you take to start your healing process? Ooh, that's a lot to get into. <laughs> Let me see. I'm like a dress. So I can, let me try to sum it up, bring it, condense it down. Um, my story started off with like he was, he, he would come down, right? If that's my superhero. <laughs> You're on mute. He was very romantic. Um, he was very romantic. It was never always nice, you know, always um, flourishing with gifts or flowers or anything like that. Things didn't take a change until we got married, like a week after we got married. And um, he st it started drinking like more often. But the week after he got married was the first time like he punched me in my stomach, standing on the corner like he was already tipsy. We got into an argument and he straight punched me <laughs> in my stomach. And I remember like feeling like gutless, like just like, like breathtaking away and just stood there. And then while I'm hunched over, I can, I could see him walking away, leaving me there. And, um, you know, it, me giving him an excuse in that moment, of him being drunk as he comes back to apologize and say, I didn't mean to do that. You know, I've been drinking, you know, angry with him in a moment, still in my, you know, going through my time at the same time as trying to heal and giving him so many excuses. To where it became from him punching me, my, just my stomach and that um, grew until, until I was having bruises, going to work with a busted lip or, you know, scrape marks on the side of my body from being dragged up my arm and then being able to even identify it at work, you know, to, for them to know that these things were going on. Um, it escalated further into, you know, him committing a, a, a crime that almost got me locked up for uh for 30 years you know an interrogation for 22 hours you know just being questioned about something that i didn't have any knowledge of you know um them just having you know finding my car at the crime scene and that's it and if had i not worked you know this particular day and you know i was working my last day at um uh, i was a manager at applebee's and it was my last day because i was starting a new job and this particular day, the manager had me staying late, like, you know, just cleaning extra duties. Like he just knew I wasn't coming back tomorrow. And my spirit wasn't sitting right because I was, I started to become emotional, but I didn't know why I, while I was still cleaning, I didn't know why. 
And, you know, it was in that those moments where this incident was taking place and the police are everywhere looking for me and things like that, that, you know, had I not been at work scrubbing, you know, during those hours, I wouldn't have had no place of escape to say where I was to excuse me from the situation. I could have been in jail right now, you know, mm -hmm. so, you know, you know, just being able to have my life back. It was only my 21st birthday. I remember, and we was arguing about not doing anything for my birthday in that moment. And um, the argument got so heated where I was literally in fear for my life, my clothes being ripped off in the street, me being punched in my face, people being in the street watching, not looking, not helping, to where I really felt like I wasn't going to live anymore. So literally packed my bags and just told them like, you know, I was, I wanted to leave. You know, I was ready to go, but it was when he started taking the bags, dumping everything out, you know, maybe telling me I wasn't going anywhere until I felt like I was stuck, like I didn't have any place to go. And um, about two weeks after that, I, my job was a big part of the process. You know, I was able to go back to him. I knew he was on parole. He couldn't leave um, the state for um, another year from at that from that time. So I used that to my advantage. Um, I told him that I had a job opportunity in uh, South Carolina. And, um, you know, I was going to be able to come back and visit every month because the salary was going to be this much. And, you know, I was always hardworking. I mean, I always had a job because it was my place of escape. I, I was a hard worker, an overworker. Um, I would pick up doubles and triples just so I didn't have to go home um, to the to the abuse. So being able to use my the work came to me at a leverage. You know, they're offering me this position to be a trainer. I'm going down. I can come back every month, though, just, you know, to, to give him some type of ease that, you know, it'll be OK. But I knew once I left, it was it was going to be over, like all ties was going to be cut. But I knew I had to do it this way for my own safety if I wanted to be able to make it out alive. Mm -hmm. Especially knowing, you know, the the previous incident that the cops came to get us, you know, to that was they was investigating us for, which was murder. So I knew that if he can do this to anybody else, he can definitely do this to me. And he used to say things like, I'm gonna tie you up in the basement, I'm gonna kidnap you. He mm. played games with knives that were, you know, it, it was it was scary. That made you think he would make it seem like he was playing, but you would know like uh, it's a little crazy in there somewhere. Like I believe it. And um, you know, it wasn't until um I made and um he punched me in my face um in the middle of the night, like straight out of my sleep about something that happened at work. Um we was in the night before we was at I was working at a supermarket and these guys went to the supermarket and um they was buying wicks. So you know they have no idea what they're doing of how to get the, the formula and things like that. So it was a joke. So I laughed at him about the customer service and assisted. He ended up walking in the store seeing the exchange but wasn't really present for the communication. By the time we got in the car, he asked me why I was laughing and you laughing in these guys' face and just straight pushing my head into the passenger window, like smashing my head into the window. 
So it was in that moment that I knew that even though I told him that I was leaving in about a month, two months, now I had to speed up the process. I had to go. So I ended up calling a friend um, in South Carolina that was already working with me on the transition. And it was able to get me a Greyhound um, expedited, you know, ticket for the next couple of days. So I left the car, I left the apartment, I left all of the clothes, I left all of the furniture, I left the title signed over to you. I don't even reach out to me. I don't need it. I had two suitcases and a duffel bag, whatever I was able to carry. That's what I was leaving with. It didn't matter about anything else. I just know I had to get out of there for my own sanity. And it wasn't until moving into South Carolina that my healing process really began because I, God had to separate me in order for my healing process to begin. He, there was no way that I was going to be able to recover or heal being stuck in that process, being stuck in that atmosphere. So he had to get me far away. So, um, I'm in South Carolina, and this is where the transformation really begins for me as my healing process of being able to identify um, what I needed and, you know, starting counseling and anger management to be able to um, address those concerns on the things that I was dealing with. And Black people think they don't need therapy, but it was the therapist and God that led me all the way through. So, you know, <laughs> we definitely need it because it's a lot of things that we don't address because we're, we're taught or from learned behavior that we keep um, buckled in. And um, I started writing my book in South Carolina. South Carolina is actually where I published my book. South Carolina is where I went back to school to get my GED. Um, a few months after I got down there, I found out that my um, high school diploma wasn't accredited. So I went back, got my GED. And then was after get, getting my GED, we're just passing it like right away. Um, that it encouraged me to immediately enroll back in school where I got my uh, diploma in healthcare management, and then re-enrolling again for my degree in healthcare management. Um, so those are some of the starts of me getting into, you know, and back into myself and what I wanted to do for me and how I wanted to. Um, how I wanted to prosper. But then in writing my book was where I found the true gift because I didn't know that telling my story was going to heal so many people. I didn't know while going through my story that it was going to be used today to heal so many people. Mm -hmm. And if I don't take what I went through lightly, I don't regret the experiences that I went through. I'm the director of victim services today because of the, the, the experiences that I and the, the trauma that I've overcome. Um, a big part of my healing and self-care is definitely church. That has been the major part of my healing process. I couldn't give anything else um, for regard to that but God himself. Um, he has been a big part of, you know, keeping me whole during um, the trauma and abuse. Because when there was nothing else, like I said, at a young age, I was still going to church. And that has been my peak in storms in so many, so many ways. But the healing for me came from me running away. And I, th I thought I was running away, but God had me running to my destiny at the same time. And sometimes we're in fear to leave because we're thinking we're, we're leaving um, something better, but God is really trying to transition us and take us to something better if we just let him. 
So leaving is always the best option. Even if we think we're leaving millions behind, God is saying he will multiply it. But I don't want to um, tap into that just yet. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it on. <laughs> All right, Ms. Rhonda. Okay, so I kind of mentioned uh, mine's a little bit earlier, so I apologize. But um, um, so mom was involved with a relationship. We had broken up, but um, so mom was like kidnapped, beaten, and raped. Uh, I was raped. Um, actually, abandoned me. Uh, well, my son and my nephew, they were in the car. Abandoned them in the highway where I was drugged on the highway. Uh, I was First of all, I was maced in the face. I was drugged on the highway. And then... Um, beaten and raped. And so, um, so that part, um, the healing. So talk about healing. Healing came, uh, there was so many, so many ways, like people wanted me to heal their way, like mm -hmm. what kind of healing they had, but I had to walk my own course and, 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 and I was bold enough to say, and it is crazy because, um, I think, um, the sister talked about earlier about the church and while I was sitting here, you know, in a sling and be, um, uh, bruised all up, um, I still have women that came um, from the church saying, hey, I've been raped, but I didn't say anything. Well, let me just tell you, I didn't say anything either. It was just so bad that the DA said, hey, we're going to charge this joker. <laughs> you don't got us involved now. You don't call 911. Your family call 911. We in, we, we're involved. So that's how all of that began. Um, so I think one of the parts of my healing, knowing me self-identifying what I need to heal. Um, God was definitely my source. But in addition to God being my source, seeking counseling. And I think, as um, the sister stated earlier, with Black community, uh, it's almost like a stigma. If you say, tell somebody you're getting therapy or if you're getting counseling, it's like, you girl, you crazy. No, you crazy if you don't. If your heart is sick, you do go to the doctor for your heart. You stump your toe, you go get checked out for your toe. Why not? If you feel as though there's an imbalance of emotions, why wouldn't you? Because sometimes that trauma um, is so deeply rooted. It goes back to our childhood. If you think about it, some of the stuff we may have witnessed, some of the things that, you know, we have been a part of some of the things we have seen that have not been addressed. And so you have to allow God to heal your heart. But also because of the trauma is so deep and so deeply rooted, you need somebody to talk it out in layers because it's so layered trauma. It's layered trauma. Um, and I think the sister asked earlier about dating after the trauma. I really haven't dated. And that's been over 10 years. I try to date. So I really haven't had a real relationship because I know for me, I'm still healing. Because what I don't want to do is not deal with my stuff and impose it on somebody else. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give because I want him to have all of me. And all of me without my baggage, you know, because um, he's not my past. He's my future. And so mm -hmm. I had to allow God to do what he needs to do in me to move on. And it's OK, because guess what? I lost myself in that relationship. I'll be honest. I lost myself. So now I'm rediscovering me. Ronald, what do you like to do? Because a lot of times people are like, I don't know. I don't know whatever you want to do because we want to <laughs> please them. No, 
I want to go to this restaurant. I want to do this. And if he, he said, well, baby, I can't afford that. Okay. Well, man, I mean, not that it's about money, but it's about I can now treat myself. I can now get to love me, get to do my self-care because now I no longer have a project. So that's 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 what I think I answered all your questions. I think I did. You did. But, yeah. Okay. All right. Miss Renee. Um, I think I, in the story I, I shared a lot. Um, and the healing, it takes time. It definitely takes time. There is no, you're going to get over it. No. There is some healing to be done. And um, I that relationship was definitely, I would definitely consider he was bipolar. And then I went into a very narcissistic relationship. And that was manipulation written all over it. Okay. And God had to pull me out of that too. And now I'm just on a break. <laughs> I want a whole hiatus, just enjoying life, enjoying my kids. Um, you know, I mean, I people say, how do you do a small business and run a family? I was like, actually, I have had harder days. I've had harder days. What I do online has nothing. It compares nothing to what I lived through and had to heal from and the people I dealt with. So the manipulation, because people can get into your mind, and that's the thing. You really have to know mm -hmm. who you're loving. You really do. Because manipulation is, it's very tricky. And sometimes you don't even know you're being manipulated until you finally wake up. And mm -hmm. however you wake up, wake up, stay awake. Stay awake so you never have to be in that type of situation. Because sometimes we do attract it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. Until we actually see, we got to see beyond the person that we're seeing, like their full character, how they treat people, how they treat their family, how, I mean, the history, it's like you need a whole resume. You need more than a few weeks to get to know somebody. You need months. Exactly. <laughs> okay. And before anything happened, and I'm going to say that very loud and clear, before anything can happen, you got to really know this person. How you do that, that's that's going to be up to you. But I, I totally think there has to be a level of conversation, maturity, everything. But you really do have to be healed before you step into something else. Because no telling what that is. No telling what issues they got. Because some people don't even show you their issues. And I am not someone to fix anybody. I'm not a counselor. <laughs> you got to come, you got to come together. You don't got to be perfect. Just good to me, and but good to yourself. Good to yourself. Because sometimes that self-esteem is so low, but that's not what they show you. So you have to really be aware. I would say definitely aware of what you want, but be healed. Don't jump in, don't jump from this to that to this, because it's just it's just gonna look like that. And they're all gonna look the same, but different people. Mm -hmm. so um you really do have to take care of yourself i i really needed god to help me heal because i wasn't going to do it and i was able to do the forgiving and do the healing and it took it took time and now you know what i feel like you know because i can share the story you know before if you asked me a year ago vernita i would not have been able to may i could i know i wouldn't have two years ago for sure i wouldn't have been able to um but i am grateful uh god let me 
uh, to you, Vernita, this platform. Um, and I'm able to share without crying or being sad, or even I share it to my daughter, you know, I share, this is what happened. And it's not like, you know, her dad was a bad person. He was a good person. He just was not for me. Right. And it's okay. And I'm okay with that. But you really do have to be awake. If you feel, have any intuition that you're being manipulated, or are you being conned? Are you being used? Are you being hurt? And you have to wake up for yourself. No one can wake you up. No, nothing can wake you up until you say enough is enough. This is foolishness. I deserve better. I'm worthy of everything. Why not? You know, so I just take my life one day at a time. I'm very grateful every time I wake up in the morning. <laughs> so, especially in the pandemic. <laughs> so I am just grateful every day. You know, and, um, you know, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So for me, um, my healing started when I started. Um, I got therapy. I got counseling. Um, and I began to talk more about what had happened you know um i addressed a lot of things that had happened um i think one of the things that really when i started the organization i remember one of my aunts coming to me and saying we already knew mm. um and i knew a lot of people knew um because it had got to a point where I was constantly calling the police. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my aunts had a scanner. So she was always able to tell my parents that she was on the way to your daughter's house. Um, I never understood how they knew, you know, but um, they did. But I always had a calling over my life. And I remember talking to my mom and, you know, I was telling her, I was like, but, you know, I don't think I want to do that, you know. Um, and through dreams or whatever, God was like, you know, open the organization. I'm like, uh -uh, I don't like telling people my business. I don't even like talking to people. Now you want me to go out and do what? Like, I was a very secret person. Like, my business was my business. I dealt with it on my own. But I didn't realize trying to deal with it my way was keeping me hurt, keeping me bound, you know? And when I started telling my story, um, that was part of my healing process. I did not realize that because of the calling on my life, God was allowing me to spread awareness because this is not just something you do, but this is like evangelism as well. Um, God was a major part um, of my life, but I knew that I had work to do as well. And when he allowed me to go place to place and start telling my story and 
get the counseling and get the therapy and understand that even getting that didn't make me um, less than a person. Because truth be told, in our communities, as um, Ms. Rhonda stated, when you get in therapy, when you get counseling and you go and you tell somebody, well, you know, I, I got to go see my um, psychiatrist. I got to go see my therapist. It's like, oh, well, you're going to be labeled. You're going to be labeled as retarded. You're going to be labeled as this. But in reality, you're not labeled as anything. If you don't go get the help that you need you're going to explode and then you're going to truly be labeled because it affects your mental health. And that was one of the things I was angry. I was just really angry. And for me, like screaming and yelling, I can't, that that's one thing that I still cannot deal with. Now I can scream and yell at you, but I can't stand anybody to scream and yell at me. Um, and so I remember my husband now um, and I dating. And I remember one time I got really angry and I started to argue. This joker got his coat, put his shoes on and he left. Now, after being in abusive relationships, you don't just leave. I, I need you to respond back. <laughs> you know, I, I need you to talk back. But he wouldn't. And he told me, he said, you know, um, in order for our relationship to progress, you need help. Because you want to take out on me what everybody else has done. I'm not that person. He said, but what I will do is make sure you get the help you need. And I was like, no, I want you to argue back. You know, I, I didn't want to hear what he had to say. But um, so to have his support when I went through, um, and it was certain things, I was called a B-I-T-C-H in all my relationships, that when I would hear that word, it would trigger anger in me. And so um, that was one of the things, you know, um, when he would listen to his music, if I was around, he made sure that wasn't in there. So that helped. Um, he, you know, he treated me as a queen, and he still do, you know, out of 14 years, he has treated me awesome. But um, he went through therapy with me um, to make sure, you know, he could learn things that would help when I was getting, you know, um, overboard. So I think that helped me a lot. Um, God was the number one source. But the Bible also say faith without works is dead. So if you're not doing anything, you know, um, to 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 get your healing, if you're not doing anything um, to help yourself, you can pray all day, you know, and, and I could say this as being a minister. Um, if you're going to pray about it and keep picking it back up. You know, you, you're not going to be healed. Um, we have people pray all the time. And, and for me, one of the things, um, I have a prayer team every morning, every morning and every night. And one of the things for me, I tell them be specific because if I just go and pray, Oh God, please don't let him beat me today. 
I might get that. But when 12 p.m. come and he he strike me, you know, it's like I pray. But you said today and that's what God gave you. So um, with me, like being very specific with God, with what I ask him for and being very specific, like with my healing, you know, I know I need healing. And I think um, this year, you know, God allowed me and my first abuser to be in the same um, place so he can show me my growth. He could show me my strength. Um, and I was uneasy. I, I can honestly say I was uneasy. You know, when my daughter said, well, my dad is coming. Now, if I never prayed before, I prayed real hard because I said, God, you know, let him find an excuse not to come. And so um, when God still allowed him to come, you know, it wasn't that I felt that God filled me, but God had to show me, listen, I got you. You know, um, you, you pray for healing. This is part of the healing process. So it's not, we're not always like the, you know, the, the arena God puts us in, but as long as we know that he's right there and we can push through, you know, um, I'm a strong believer and I'll tell anybody, I love the Lord, but I'm not going to tell you to stay in an abusive relationship. Uh, I'm not that person to come talk to you. I'm going to listen and I'm going to offer you. But I will say this, and I, I know you ladies can probably agree. If a person comes to you and tell you what they're going through, you can offer advice most of the time, they just need you to listen. You gather the information and then you present them with a way that can help them. Now, they're not going to leave the first instance. Statistics say it takes seven, at least seven times before you leave your abuser. And we have to realize some people are going through abuse because of things that happened in their childhood. And they buried it deep down on the inside. And now it's resurfacing. And it's like, well, how do I get past this? It's not as easy as people think. And one of the um, viewers asked, has everyone forgiven their abusers? I have. <laughs> I had to. Um... Um, first, you know, that's just a question, forgives, you know, so that you should be forgiven. But for me, it was deeper um, than that. I've had one abuser come um, apologize to me and ask me for, you know, forgiveness. That has happened as well. You know, they got their life right with God and, you know, they had to come back and get their life right with they everybody else they did wrong too in that process and you know for me luckily you know I was one of those people and that provided me some form of healing as well you know for the situation with that particular abuser um this year you know my mom my, my mother married my um the my, one of my abusers the man that molested me um this year um is the first year I had Thanksgiving with both of them around um, more so in the relationship that was building with my mom um, or trying to build with build with my mother. Um, 
it was in that moment this past Thanksgiving that I knew I was healed. Um, and it was a, it was a test for myself on that healing to make sure that, you know, I was doing the work as well and how that, how it was going to um, impact me and being in the same room with him was hard, but it was a breath of fresh air because I knew that I, I, I was in control in that moment. And, you know, I had, I had my own control back. I had control of my emotions. I had control of my joy and my happiness in, in the moment of still having my mother present, you know, and that, that um, definitely was important to me too, to know that I, I, I healed because this is the same person. I wouldn't step in my mother's house because she still lives mm-hmm. in the same home. A lot of the memories, I wouldn't go um, you know, to her home. But the fact that I was able to invite them in mine into my space according to how I wanted it to go. Um, and it, and it, it went well. Um, but to, have I forgiven all of them? Yes. Um, you know, I, I always say it's the spirit, not the person. Um, you know, and that's how I just want to look at it and move forward because people know not what they do. Forgive them for they know not who they do. You know, touch not my anointing and do my prophet no harm. They didn't know who they were creating in the process. And, you know, I thank God that I was able to forgive them because it created so many opportunities for myself, you know, and um, that's important. Forgiveness is important. You can't um, hold blessings if you're too busy holding grudges. And I'm going to end with that. Miss Rhonda? So, for me, so, um, <laughs> I said I had forgiven until <laughs> I received a letter from him from prison. Oh, I was so angry. So, you know, you know, you put on that little church face and like, yes, I'm blessed and highly favored. Yes, I've forgiven. And, and then there comes testing time. And so the testing time for me was the letter. And I got so angry. And I actually talked to one of my godmothers. And she said to me, she said, she said, read the, I said, can you believe this joker wrote me? That I was going off. And she said, I know he wrote you because he wrote me first. And told me he was going to write you. And I was like, what you doing? I, you know, I don't kind of have to her. I'm just going to be honest. But, um, she said, now go back, read that letter to me. And it was something about when I slowed down enough to read it. Um, that's when I was able to complete the deal. So now it was no longer with my mouth, but in my heart. I had to give him. And not only him, but his family, uh, members that took me through stuff. Uh, so yeah, yes, I forgive it. And what the sister said earlier, it's like you holding a fist. When you mm-hmm. hold your fist, you can't get anything in. But once you release it, blessings now flow. And so, um, yeah, I forgive it. Thank you, Lord. Renee, have you forgiven your abuser? You're on mute. The answer is yes, I've totally forgiven. And it feels great. <laughs> it feels great. Um, it took a minute. It took a minute. It took years. It took years. And uh, like I said, I really had to ask God to help me and intervene in the healing because I couldn't do it by myself. I, literally, I couldn't. 
physically I couldn't, mentally I couldn't, spiritually I wouldn't. So it's definitely a process and there is no recipe to healing. There is none. You take it one day at a time, you let go of some things, you forgive the person, you forgive yourself. And day by day, you get stronger and stronger. That's, that's the only thing I could tell anybody. My recipe, is, it, was, it was personal for me to forgive. I was like, I'm not going to get anywhere if I don't really forgive. I mean, sincerely forgive. And um, it wasn't until I came home back to California and um, we had a conversation. We had conversations when I was in UAE too, uh, mostly about our daughter and things like that. And, you know, there was one specific conversation and he was like, I really, in the terms of, thank you for raising our daughter. And I can't tell you how that, it just did something for me. It did something for me because I knew the work I put into my kids. You know, I knew the amount of love I give them. Not, I'm not just, I'm financial, everything, mm -hmm. but the love I give. So when he said that, because we've had a lot of conversation, like, oh, she won't grow up to respect you, shoot, da, da, da. So a lot of the mental stuff was related to my, our child, right? So when he said that to me, it helped in so many ways. And it closed the chapter because he was hurting. And uh, before that conversation, um, he was saying that he was passing. And um, he felt like no one loved him. And I told him, I loved it. I love you, even though all that stuff happened. I will forever love you. And I, that's what I'm saying in terms of the self-esteem. We all have to find people that are already love themselves, not looking for love. <laughs> love themselves and us as well as ourselves we have to love ourselves she did pass uh about two months after that conversation um so when i say i'm so glad i forgave him i am so glad i forgave him and you know in and in the in the, his passing i was thinking too about regretting regretting maybe we could have made it work and and my daughter was like no no. And I just remember our friendship now. You know, I remember before the relationship. I remember when he was with our daughter in the hospital. I remember those things. And I, you know, ask God, you know, to, you know, rest in, maybe rest in peace, you know. Um, but I, I hold on to the good memories because the hard ones are hard and I and I I I'm not going there with myself. I'm not fighting that battle with myself. It's done. It's done. And I just like I said, it's one day at a time. No regrets. One foot in front of the other. And just that's it. I don't know. Like my journey is different and I and every on all of our journeys are different. And the women who are watching this, your journey is different. But when you wake up to understanding your self-worth and how important you are, there's nothing gonna keep you in any a bad relationship, a battering a relationship, or someone is abusing you and hurting you. There's nothing. 
not my own, not even my, my children would have kept me in a relationship. I'm so sorry. If it's, if it gets to the point where you're just beating me down, like I got to go. So, um, yeah, so I did forgive and I, I healed and I'm grateful. God, I couldn't have done it. From, I couldn't have done it alone. I wouldn't have done it alone. And my family didn't know. And likely my family doesn't know unless they're following my page. But um, it was my journey, my story. And, you know, now I'm just moving forward. That's it. As far as me um, forgiving, honestly, <laughs> um, a couple of them have asked for forgiveness and I forgave them. That is something that God is still dealing with me on. Um, Because, and, and, you know, I'm transparent and I'm real. Um, some of them was different levels of hurt. And to just um, come live and say, yeah, I'm truly forgiven. I'm not. I, I haven't truly forgiven them. Um, I can't help somebody else if I can't be real, you know. Um, my first abuser and my last abuser. I haven't truly forgiven them. Uh, my first abuser, I feel like the trauma that my children have suffered and to see that cycle, the generational curse relived um, has caused me to to be angry sometimes because I feel like if they dealt with their generational curses, it wouldn't have transpired into my daughter. Um, and so I'm asking God to help me with that. And, you know, that's something that I just have to be real about um, because I feel like it affected my children's mental health um, and not just theirs, but mine to a certain extent. The ones that came to me and asked me for forgiveness, I was like, oh, okay. But one thing when they came to me to ask me for forgiveness, so what am I forgiving you for? Because I wanted them to address what they done. You know, anybody could just come to you and say, um, you know, I, I want to move on with my life. Um, can you forgive me? What am I forgiving you for? And when they was able to answer and just say, you know, um, I grew up, whatever. Uh, I don't care about that. I just want you to address what you've done to me. You know, and um. I'm a real straightforward person and that's just how I am. My life is an open book. And um, and a couple of them um, came forth at the open organization. So my next question to them was, are you just apologizing because you're scared that I'm going to mention? Oh, baby, I'm going to mention what you've done. I don't have to mention your name. So if you're apologizing because you're scared I'm going to mention your name, don't apologize if it's not coming from the heart. 
you know, what is it that you've done? Um, because for years you denied it, you know, because, hey, I would press charges. And I remember um, one of the guys, his mom was like, um, well, the next time he hits you, have him arrested. Okay. So when I do have him arrested, I had to deal with her and the sister. Why did you have, baby, do you not remember the conversation last week? <laughs> it came out of your mouth. If he do it again to have him arrested, oh, okay. You thought it was a joke? So, you know, I, I did. I asked him, like, hey, you, you know, what is it? Let's make sure, you know, that I'm forgiving you for the right thing. Because in your mind, it might be, hey, I just call you um, Lil Debbie and you got upset. You know, no. Let, let's go deep into the conversation. Because when you want me to forgive you, I want to make sure what I'm forgiving you for. You know, and for me, I'm I'm just that person. I'm going to keep it real. So um, I am. I am praying and asking God to work with me because two of them is hard. It's real hard. And one will never address what he has done. But um, so I'm still working on that. So um, and I have to keep it real. And the only way to truly, truly help anybody is, you know, for me to heal. And, you know, and, and part of your healing is forgiving. I know people don't want to address that, but that's the truth. Um, so, ladies, um, one last question from the audience. They said, so now how do you identify yourself after the pain? Anybody could tune in. I just see myself as a, um, you know, victorious leader, uh, assertive outreach worker, you know, a victim's advocate, just trying to heal others. You know, my identity, um, I, I had to, for one, I still have the last name from my marriage, but, and, and that used to be one of my day-to-day -day traumas until, you know, I took ownership of that name and made it to the name that I have. I'm I'm called till today, you know. So many people out here in the community. It's like streets, you know. I'm out here really, you know, doing the work to help other victims of crime and survivors of crime and survivor families still um, create atmosphere uh, atmospheres for them to heal on a day to day basis. Um, you know, I, I I find my identity in doing that work. I find that fulfillment in doing that work of healing the same people. Um, that need that needs to be reached like I needed to be reached, you know. Yeah. You know, my identity of just being strong and confident in who I am and what I know, knowing that I'm loved by God and I'm who He said I am, and that you know I, I'm prosperous. I am the head and not the tail. You know, I make sure that you know I 
my identity is I'm not called outside of my name. I am Shana Miss Street Streets. Somewhere in that formation, you can find it. But you know, I'm not crazy. I'm not dumb. You know, things like that. I make sure that everyone knows who I am when they're speaking to me. That and I stand firm on that. That when I walk in the room, you know, God shows that light that is already identified. You know, and that's me living after the pain, no longer silent, no longer um, being able to express myself and, you know, my emotions and being put in value to how I feel, because that's important, too. You know, and those are things that get lost when you lose your identity in relationships, your emotions become valueless and they don't become addressed. And it's just being firm in that and knowing that you have a voice. And that, um, you know, you are victorious, you are fearless, and um, you're phenomenal. And, you know, that's who I am. That's how I identify myself after all the pain that I've went through. I'm, you know, I'm not what I went through. I, I overcame what I went through. I'm an overcomer. And that's how, you know, I like to be identified. Miss Renee? The question is, how do you identify yourself after the pain? I would say courageous. That's one thing about me. I am very resilient. Um, I decided, you know, uh, I think it was a two years after I had left, I was moving to the Middle East. And I had no idea I was going to be living there that long. I didn't think I was going to be, I only was going there for two years and uh, God had me there for 10 only to understand that it was, he needed me there. And uh, cause as soon as I saw those kids to teach, I was like, yeah, I'm supposed to be here. Um, but I would totally say I, I am courageous. I I look at those days and to walk away, to leave the keys to a new home. I was like, I'm out of here. You ain't keeping me here. I am so sorry. I, I know I know God is gonna bless me with another house one of these good days, right? And then He blessed me with the Middle East, and um, I have great memories there because um, I do remember a conversation we had uh, maybe two years prior to. Maybe three, maybe four. I can't remember. I'm not good with the years, ladies. So forgive me. But um, I was thinking about teaching abroad. He said, you would never teach abroad. We will never go teach abroad. <laughs> I was like, we'll see about that. <laughs> and then I had no idea it was going to be the Middle East. Like I said, I lived in New York when it, the World Trade fell. I saw it come down. So, you know, the Middle East was not something I wanted to go to. But that's it just happened that I put my application and I was going through the process and I ended up there. You know, it was a great, it was a great 10 years, great 10 years. I learned a lot, but I met my narcissist there. <laughs> I definitely met him there and I left him right there. And I said, you know what? This time around is about myself. I'm very resilient about taking care of myself, my heart, who I am. And I want my, my children to understand you don't always have to be strong. I'm not a big word, big person on being strong. I may seem that way, but when I need help, I, I ask people for help more than I ever did before. 
but I realized I am very resilient. And, um, and I like that about me. You know, I like the woman I'm becoming or I'm being every day. Like, it's one day at a time for me. There is no perfection. Like, I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm just trying to be myself. I'm in competition with nobody. Um, and I just take it one day at a time. I keep, every, I'm very simple. <laughs> I like some nice good food. I like a nice movie. I like a nice cafe. Um, but that hurt and that pain, I, I will not want to ever see that again. And I wouldn't want that for anyone. And anyone that came to me to ask me about what, you know, their options, you have options, you have options. And there's so many organizations. That's one thing I didn't really, I never tapped into organizations. You know, I never, I didn't know. I just felt like I was dealing with this by myself and I'm getting the heck out of here. And I'll pick up the pieces as I go. I'll be in that room until I pass my test. I'll be in that, this room until I get a better job. I'll be in this room until, and that's exactly what happened. I ended up renting a, a one bedroom. I think my credit was, it was okay, it was decent. And um, and I took baby steps. I ended up getting a truck. I didn't have that before. <laughs> so different things started happening. And then the, the job in UAE came and, but I am over the wrong people. Like you're wrong, you're just wrong. Like you gotta get yourself fixed. I am not fixing anyone. Uh, so sorry. Uh, but I'm resilient about taking care of myself. So that's it. That's it. Miss Rhonda. And so how I identify myself after the pain, I would say evolving. So I'm evolving to what God has called me to be. And one of the ways that I evolved in doing that is um, I started a mentoring program with a local high school. Um, how her pride and what that do is uh, that allows me to pour into young girls to help them identify their words, um, help them to identify, um, you know, just um, how important what, what they bring to the kingdom, not only what they bring to the kingdom, but also identify, you know, uh, what what's a healthy relationship. What's not healthy? I think it's important for us at a young age to begin to uh, help our girls recognize toxic relationship, whether it's the same sex, females, females, or whether it's the opposite sex, opposite sex. And so that's one of the ways that I do is mentor and pour into them and help them to be, um, to help them to realize that glass ceiling can be broken. And so that's how I've, uh, the word I will use is evolving. Awesome. Um, so how I identify myself after the pain, I am an advocate. I am a overcomer. I am victorious. Um, I am courageous. You know, I don't allow what I went through to determine who I am. So um, my favorite scripture comes out of Joshua 1 and 1. Um, it, you know, it tells us to be strong and courageous. And for me, I stand firm on that. Um, there's been so many oppositions, especially starting an organization and um, talking about domestic violence. You know, I often hear, I don't want to hear about that mess. I often hear, um, that's stupid. If you heal, why are you talking about it? Well, you know, and, and I love when the church folks, you know, and I always say everybody in church ain't saved. 
and everybody that go to jail is not a criminal. So I, I like to put that out there. But when they come to me, and it's so funny when they say that, and I say to them, it's dumb until it happens directly in your family. It's dumb until your daughter come, her eyes swole, and you can't recognize your own child. It's dumb until you get that phone call from the police saying that we had to rush your child to the hospital. So if it's dumb now, when you get that call, is it going to be dumb then? And a lot of times they say, well, I don't want to talk. I don't want to put that on my daughter. We don't know what our children are doing. And one of the hardest things is your child to call you crying. Saying this is happening. See, and I could tell them, I know that feeling from experience. So the reason I do what I do is because I don't want anybody to go through what I've been through. I want them to be able to push through and say, this is not the life for me. Um, so I really have, I, I really thank you ladies for taking time out of your day. We're going to answer one more question with the three of us. And then it says, in your different professions, does what happened to you all affect you in your careers? Honestly, for me, um, I don't like loud screaming. So, and this is crazy. Um, God placed me in a daycare and I'm like, you know, children scream. So I said, God, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this, you know, because the screaming, I'll catch myself sometimes. And, um, some of them do it because it's the funniest thing to them. Um, but it do have an effect. And one thing I've learned that no matter what profession I was in, um, because I've done mental health, I've done CPA, I've, and now I'm doing daycare. But one of the things I've learned in any profession that I am in, that when I feel my temper rising, to remove my myself. So um, I'll do my breathers. I'll, I'll do my, you know, everything that I learned through, um, through my therapy, you know, I, I'll take all that and um, adjust myself. And sometimes no matter what career you're in, sometimes you have to remove yourself because if not, it can have an effect on your day. So, um, but overall, what I've been through taught me to look for other signs in my babies, in my adults, in whatever, whoever I'm working with to see if there's signs of abuse or neglect. So for me, um, the abuse has opened my eyes to look far beyond the surface. And sometimes just looking. But body language, attitude can tell you a whole lot. So for me, it has taught 
actually the pain that I went through was for somebody else. So I can help somebody else. Miss Renee. Um, I was a school teacher, you know, and um, that was my profession for years. And I, I was always, you know, and it, it's, it's amazing because he will put you in places and there was a school and uh, there was a student and I saw something. He's very, he's brilliant, he's a brilliant student. But I saw something and I, and I know what it looks like. It's fear, it's anxiety, it's depression. And, and if kids come sad, kids come, there's too many, it's too many, it was just too much. So I, I went to the principal and I said, this is, I think we need to look into this situation. And I, and it's a courage for me to do that. But I was like, this child is not going to be harmed. You know, um, unfortunately he was the, I, the, I guess the father saw that the, that someone saw something, you know, and, and it was intuition for me. Um, as a teacher, we have to go beyond just the teaching. You know, these are young children. And at the time, I think the student was uh, grade two. Maybe I think it was grade two. It was a long time ago. But um, um, the father removed him from the school. So, you know, it, it's, just, it's just we do have to look beyond the surface. And I, I think as a teacher for me, I think I was just supposed to be in this situation. You know, like even people, strangers will come talk to me. And... I'm more empathetic. I understand women will come and talk and share their story. They need to talk to someone. I wasn't vocal when I was in a situation. You know, um, I wasn't. Like, if I told one or two friends, I can't remember uh, because I would just keep it inside. Um, so, and uh, that I had a lot of years of shame. I had a lot of years of shame because this doesn't happen, especially I'm, my family is from the West Indies. Everything is, it's, it's like double time. No, it's real hush. <laughs> it's like real hush hush. So, um, yeah, I definitely see beyond what is in front of me. So I would say the same, Bernita. I would say like either teachers or any coworkers, I saw something or felt something or they said something in a certain way. You know, I wanted them to let them know, you can come and talk to me. Um, because... It's very, it takes guts to share anything with people. So yeah, that would say my, that would be mine. Miss Rhonda? For me, I would say that um, going through it made me more sensitive. Um, but also, I would say vulnerable. So at sometimes, like when I had like a male boss, um, when he didn't respond, it reminded me or it triggered um, some things of the relate the past relationship where he didn't. I asked him a question, he didn't respond. So it was like that kind of abandonment thing. So I had to get um, counseling for that, um, but. I would say also it made me sensitive because like you two, it made me, um, it was almost like I was an advocate at the job, which was so crazy. My boss, when um, it was one girl that had went through it, um, she said, hey, I need for you to come in my office. And she would have us in there 
And I, you know, being that I work with the local domestic balance shelter here, um, I was connected with resources. Um, so that was good. And I actually had a male that come to me that was dealing with that in shame, a coworker, um, where his wife, and you know, it was just a, you know, going through a divorce, but really not divorcing because of the child, but she used that as manipulation, as we talked about. So I had to let him know it's, it's okay, because men go through it too. Thank you for being that voice for men. Um, and then just directing him in the right way. So I think it made me um, more sensitive and more to be um, an advocate and how to talk to people. Because sometimes as when you go through domestic violence, you don't need anybody else to talk down to you. So sometimes I, you know, I used to train and I used to go behind them and be like, how are you doing today? You know, and that was just spark a conversation. And it was like, well, how do you have your joy? And then, you know, you just go in conversations and they end up telling you. What's going on. So I would say it made me a sensitive. It, first of all, it made me vulnerable when I didn't get the reaction I want. Um, also made me sensitive. And then it made me be an advocate. Well, ladies, we thank you, ladies, so much for um, tuning um, tuning in, being a part of the show. Um, thank you, ladies, for, you know, the hardest thing is always reliving um, what you have been through. Um, but I, I want to say to each of you, I thank you for your courage. I thank you for just joining in um, to bring awareness on such a touchy subject. Um, as I said, stated in the beginning, domestic violence is just a, a, domestic violence is a pandemic within itself. Um, as we know, love doesn't hurt, um, but we have to bring awareness. I mean, truly bring awareness to help those that are going through and don't see a way out. So the strength and the courage that you ladies have taken on tonight, it is greatly, greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, also, if anybody need information about our organization, the, the website is um, below and it is um, North Carolina Breaking the Silence dot Wixsite dot com um, forward slash BTSDV. You can find out all the information you need to know about our organization. Um, you can also follow our, our Facebook page at Breaking the Silence on Domestic Violence Inc. Our Instagram page at BTSDV and our Twitter page, um, which is Vernita Howard 3. And again, ladies, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. So right before we close out, I want you to encourage someone that's going through. Um, so I'm going to let them um, give you information on well not information but to encourage you so if there is a woman or a male that is going through domestic violence we have a few words for you i'm going to start with you miss rhonda so one of the things i would say there's so many that i could say out uh, but one of the things i want to leave with you is that you're stronger than you think and you do have options and so 
reach inside that inner strength within yourself to move forward. You can, just like I survived, you can survive as well. So uh, I, I love you. And if nobody's told you that today, just know you are love and that you have the power to move forward. Miss Renee? I would say the same. I would say find that strength in you. Um, find the strength of understanding your worth and how beautiful you are on the inside and the outside and that you're worthy and you are just amazing already. You know, um, don't blame yourself. Don't put yourself to blame. Be okay with finding the resources that you need and to make the call that you need please who I would say to whoever is paying attention I think uh, she's having technical difficulties. I know I can't hear. Can you hear, Miss Rhonda? No, I can't. I can't. Okay. I think she's dropping them nuggets, though. Yes. <laughs> Okay, guys, I was trying to see if it was going to let her come back in, but um, nevertheless, it did not. Um, I will say to any man or woman that's facing or going through domestic violence, you are not alone. You do not have to be alone. You can reach out to any of us at any time um, to get the help that you need. Um, not only that, if you can find that one person that you can trust, Build you a safety plan. If they say that you can bring clothes there, do it. Make sure you gather all your important documents for you and your children. That is very important when leaving a domestic violence situation. Also, make sure that, um, and I will tell you this, um, I am good with you getting a protection order. Do understand that a protection order is only a piece of paper. So you will have to change some things about you. You can always reach out to my organization. There is somebody willing to answer your calls 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Also, guys, tune in because next week our um, topic is Ask First. No means no. We will be talking about sexual assault, sexual harassment, sexual um, tendencies in the workplace, we will be coming to you raw, um, spreading awareness on sexual assault. Domestic violence is not just physical. It is all forms of abuse. So with that being said, you guys be safe. As the ladies told you, if nobody's told you they love you, we do. And it's nothing you can do about it. Remember, love doesn't hurt. Your safety, your mental health, your psychological being, your mental stability is very important.
So if that means to get out of that situation, reach out to any of us and we will help you. It's not about what organization help you. It's about you getting the help. And we can say that we saved another life on today. So with that being said, we want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in and being a part of our show. You all be blessed. And remember, if nobody told you they love you, we do.